This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. If you were born and raised in a cult, lived your entire life believing in a better pathway to salvation than the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplicity, and taught that there were extra things that you must do in order to be saved, then you'll find yourself in a strange place whenever you finally try to accept freedom. Freedom, you'll quickly find, is something that other churches take for granted. They never experience the true bondage that you have. While you were born with your shackles, they were born free. The last half of 1 Corinthians 10 is a passage of scripture that you won't find in too many sermons from cult pastors. It doesn't align with cult theology. And rather than try to understand what this passage is telling us, most cult pastors will avoid it altogether. But as you enter your newfound freedom and into a church that teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll find the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Pastors teaching this passage of Scripture without fully describing its meaning and simplicity. Shepherds leading congregations that have only known freedom do not need to highlight the portions of text that describe freedom. Their faithful followers are already free. They don't need to teach the people how to heal their hands from the chains that once had them bound. They've never experienced the chains of a cult. So for a person who has just fled a cult, this passage of scripture is greatly imbalanced. On the one hand, the cult avoids the passage describing freedom because it would break the very foundation of the cult. And on the other hand, shepherds teaching the free have to guide their sheep in such a way that this freedom is not abused. The only way that you will find understanding of this passage of Scripture, the only way that you can find the middle ground, is to read the Scripture for yourself. Without any background doctrines or teachings, reading the freedom in the simplicity that Paul describes. And as with any passage of Scripture, we must do two things. 
First, we must remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that mankind could not save themselves. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die for our salvation. That Christ paid the penalty for sin, which was eternal separation from God. He died, he rose again, so that we can rise with him. And while he lived on the earth, he lived the perfect life because we could never live it. And it is by grace, by unmerited favor, that we're saved. Not because of anything that we ourselves can even do. It is a gift from God, one that is freely given with no strings attached. Paul reminds us that throughout his letters. My favorite example is Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The second thing we must do when reading any passage of Scripture is to read everything in the chapter, not just the short passage. Sometimes we must read the chapter before it and the chapter after it so that we can fully get the context in which it was written. These were letters that Paul wrote, letters, not books. They had no chapters. They had no verse or line numbers. Paul was writing a letter to a church just like we would write a letter to a friend. And he did not intend for the reader to snip out a verse here or there to glean a new doctrine. For example, let's say that you wrote a letter to a friend telling them that your father had built a house and they were welcome to stay. And you told them that you'd be out of town so they could just walk right in and make themselves at home. But suddenly you remembered a problem and you gave them a warning. Don't use the bathroom. It's not ready. <laughs> Don't use the facilities. But after you give them the warning, you tell them why they can't use the facilities. They're not ready. Maybe they're leaking or they're not turned on. There is a reason why they can't use the bathroom. Would you want your friend, <laughs> the reader of your letter, to start marking off sections and into chapters and would you want them to read the lines and start pulling single quotes from lines 5, 12, and 96? Would you want them to take that middle section and run through the streets preaching, thou shalt not use the facilities? <laughs> I know this sounds silly, but that's what churches have done. They have taken the words of Paul's letters, they've chopped them up, and they give a blended mix of whatever they want these words to say. They pick and they choose what fits their own agenda. They lead entire herds of sheep away from the fold through twisted scripture. But let's take that to a much, much larger scale. They have done the very same thing with the letter that God wrote us. His word. In the, first, in the chapter before 1 Corinthians 10, Paul has just told us that he himself has surrendered his own rights, and he told us why. It wasn't an instruction that we all surrender our rights. He did this so that he could help lead others into freedom. He went into those people in self-made bondage to bring them he, he went in with his own self-made bondage to bring them to new life and bring them out of their own man-made bondage. 
devious minds have taken and they've snipped that portion out of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 9 and placed those same chains of bondage on their own sheep. They snip out sections, avoiding the very first words of that chapter. Paul says this, the very first words, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you not the workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 2. Towards the end of the chapter, Paul describes the very reason that he placed himself under bondage. And if we read closely, we find that he only placed himself under bondage when it was necessary. He says this, For though I am free, there's that word again, free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, the Jews, I became as one under the law. And here in parentheses, though myself not being under the law. He says that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but listen to this, under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. But Paul's train of thought suddenly hit a bump. He remembered something. The bathroom was broken. He had to inject a warning to the reader. Don't use the bathroom. Paul remembered what happened when the children of Israel were set free from their bonds of slavery. He remembered how they breached the old covenant immediately after being set free. They quickly turned back to idolatry, making God very angry. God wants us to serve Him and Him alone. So Paul injected a warning. Don't do like those guys did. They were free, all baptized under the same water as they passed through the sea. They all ate the very same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual rock, which Paul said was Christ. But when they entered into the wilderness, they turned to the idols of the pagan nations time after time after time. They were free from Egypt. They were bound by the law, and they continually broke that law. And each time they broke the law, they received the curses of the law. Paul warns those who have just escaped and found freedom, continue to flee idolatry. Do not lead yourselves into sexual immorality, because this will lead you into greater temptation. And after all of this, then we get to the section of Scripture that the cults will avoid. Let's examine it. No temptation 
has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But the temp with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 13-14 You're going to receive temptations. That is a fact. But with each temptation that tries to snare you back into idolatry, God has provided a way of escape. He says this, I speak as to sensible people. In other words, you've got minds. He says, judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, it is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He says, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. He says, what do I imply then? He asked, that food offered to idols is anything? Or that the idol is anything? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 15 through 19. In other words, the children of Israel are our example. Just as they ate the same spiritual food representing Christ, we eat the same representing Christ. We're no different than the children of Israel who were once bound by the law. And that law told them not to eat food sacrificed to idols. That law told them not to do any single thing that might lead them into serving other gods. And yet they still did it. But the food itself was not the idol. Food is nothing except food. Paul says this, No, I imply that what the pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? That's Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 20-22. But when your neighbors try to lure you in and try to make you serve other gods, that is overstepping the bounds of your freedom. Do not serve other gods. We cannot serve the one true God while serving any other god. But here's where it gets to the good stuff. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says this, All things, and let me repeat, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And then Paul repeats it. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 1 Corinthians 10.23 Ask yourselves, Having been in a cult where the pastor snipped a few verses here and there to glean for his context, why did the pastor not snip this one out? Sure, they used the second half of that sentence as their entire sermon, 
But what about the all things are lawful part? Paul says that all things are lawful. We are free. We have true freedom in every sense of the word. We are to avoid idolatry. We're to live within the boundaries given to us by our own conscience and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But we are free. And each person's freedom is different from another. Each person's temptation is different in a different area. As they grow and as they learn their strengths and weaknesses, each person must learn to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, not pleasing to their pastors. All things are lawful. After you've experienced freedom from a cult, you'll find that this is where the pastors in the churches of the body of Christ start to teach after this verse. They already assume that you know the first half of that chapter. And they assume that you grew up with the same freedom that others not bound by cults have experienced. To put it simply, Paul speaks as a great philosopher. In other words, he's saying, all things are lawful, but all things must have balance. If we become imbalanced, we do great damage, not only to ourselves, but to others around us. We are free, but we must recognize that our actions affect others. We must not be self-centered. We must show the fruits of the Spirit, which include caring for others. Paul says this, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 1 Corinthians 10, 24-26 Cults will tell you that this is Satan's world, or this is Satan's Eden. That is heresy. The earth is God's, and everything in it is under his full control. The pagans offer meat to their idols, but God owns the meat. The idols do not. We do not even need to question our own consciences, according to Paul. God is in control. Then Paul says this, if one of the unbelievers invites you into dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. Any question. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. For the sake of conscience, and he says, I do not mean your conscience, but his. 1 Corinthians 10, 27-29 Notice that. Paul does tell us to abstain for conscience' sake, but not yours, his. The one who thinks that he has seen you participating in idol worship. How can you lead them to Jesus Christ, severing them from worship of this idol, if they mistakenly think that you served both? When a cult pastor tries to strip you of your freedom, taking you in as a sheep and then shearing you beyond all recognition, here's what all you need to say. Paul gives the perfect answer. 1 Corinthians 10, 29-30 For why should my liberty 
be determined by someone else's conscience. If I partake with thankfulness, am I not am I denounced for that which I give thanks? 1 Corinthians 10, 29-30 The entire ending of this chapter is not the ending of the letter, but it is the ending to the summary of thought. It's Paul's bottom line. And here's the bottom line. 1 Corinthians 10, 31-33 So whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that of many, that they might be saved. Oh.